0: If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 3. We've seen in the last month in John chapter 3 that Jesus is being uh, had an evening, middle-of-the-night interview with a Pharisee and ruler named Nicodemus. And this is the, the end of this. We saw last week... We saw on Easter Sunday that God loved the world that He gave, His only begotten Son. We saw last week that He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved, and that those who are trusting Him are not condemned. They don't come into condemnation. God is not angry at all, but those who do not hold to to God's Son or is not trusting in God's Son is not... uh, Reaching a place where they will be condemned. They have already been condemned And that was our That was our plight when Jesus met us We were already condemned and ruined there wasn't anything except our our sentence to be carried out and he came as our Savior and this is uh, This is now the end of that and we're gonna see that Jesus now leaves Nicodemus and goes back and finds John the Baptist and well, very interesting. He, they, there's not an account with John the Baptist, but John the Baptist is going to preach today to you, um, and he's a good preacher. So we'll we'll read together. This is John chapter three, starting in verse 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and he where he tarried with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Enon near to Salim, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had yet not been cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came into John and said to him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond the Jordan to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth. And all men come to him, and John said, A man can receive nothing except that it be given to him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that comes from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that comes from heaven is above all. And he that that hath seen and heard, he that he testifies, and no man receives his testimony. He that hath received his testimony, hath he set uh, his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God give not the spirit, I measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son, sh- not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that the Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John. This is the beginning of four. We're taking the first three verses of four. Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. John's book is one is an amazing book. It's amazing in uh, in what it contains and what you know and don't realize that he's already showed you. He's given you so many things. He's, given, he's filled your minds with ideas, and you don't even know where those ideas are from. He has, he, every word that, that uh, John the Baptist is saying in his sermon, you've already seen it in the Gospel of John. John has already given it to you, given it to you, given it to you, so that when you, by the time you hear his words, everything is ready in your mind. It's, it's beautiful. So we've, we're talking about the baptism, we're talking about purifying, we're talking about all that he just spoke to Nicodemus. All of this is echoed in John the Baptist's sermon here that we're going to look at. So I'm just going to go through the verses and just take one verse at a time as we go through. Um, you realize that it says that Jesus was baptizing, is that he went back to find John. So he went back into the Judean wilderness where John was baptizing and he was baptizing. Now, it clarifies in verse two of chapter four that Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples were baptizing. Now, I think it's very interesting that in this this ministry, the beginning of Jesus's ministry, which by the way, is not included in any of the other gospels. The other gospels start with the imprisonment of John the Baptist. Uh, Mark, which was the first gospel written, and then Matthew and Luke, which which would have had Mark to work with before they wrote their gospels. John most likely would have already seen the gospel of of Mark before he wrote his gospel. All of the other three start when John the Baptist was put in prison. Everything that we've read from chapter 2, which started the accounts of Jesus with his early disciples, and then we saw that we went to the marriage supper in Canaan. That's only in the book of John. Then he has an interview with Nicodemus uh, at at the first Passover celebration. He clears the temple. That's only in the book of John. Then then you have Nicodemus. Then in chapter four, he's gonna go to the woman at the well. That's all previous and it's not in any of the other gospels. So this early ministry of Christ is very interesting. That's why John is very specific in saying these things happened before John was put in prison. So there is an early ministry and so after he goes from Galilee, okay, we go to Cana, that's all up in Galilee, he comes down to the Passover celebration in in Jerusalem, so he's in Jerusalem, he clears the temple and then he meets with Nicodemus at night and then he goes out to John again and we saw that he was already in the wilderness with John. John, bear witness, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus then returns. And very interesting, Jesus' disciples is baptizing just down the creek from John the Baptist. They can see each other. And I, you scratch your head, you think, okay, why? For what reason, okay? I'm interested. It makes me interested when I, when I ask myself why. I want to know why. Okay? And there's reasons why, so let's look at it in a bit. So let's look at the as, as we go down uh, through it. So this is, um, I guess I should have read 22 and 23, after these things uh, he, uh, Jesus and his disciples went into the land of Judea and he tarried with them and baptized. John was also baptizing in Enon near Salim because there was much water there and they came and were baptized for John had yet not been put in prison okay interesting so this is verse 25 then there arose a question or a dispute or a discussion between john's disciples and the jews about purifying and i think that's interesting first of all why is it there okay it has nothing to do with jesus does it it has to do with purification it's the jews talking to the disciples of John the Baptist. If you remember the water jars from the from the Mar- marriage supper of Cana, these water jars were the Jews would before they would go to the temple or whatever would actually ceremonially wash themselves very specifically because they had this idea, I'm going to meet God, okay? I need my Sunday shirt. I need I need to be clean. There's this idea that they were doing things Jesus turns that all up on its head and takes that water jars of how do you be clean before God and fills it with blood, his own blood, which I just think is a remarkable picture of the gospel that Jesus did with those purifying jars. Well, that's already in our head. This is John chapter 3. That was just last chapter. So already in your head, you have this idea of purification. How do you be pure before God? What did Jesus do already that, you would, make, that, that would make some sense? of what that means. And then you have this idea of baptism. John was baptizing people for repentance. You are people of God. God chose you as his people. Now he is coming. The king is coming. Are you prepared? Wash your sins away. Show what's happening in your heart. Do an outward sign of something that's inward Well, this idea of of washing with the baptism and washing with the water of purification made the Jews wonder what was going on, what are you doing it differently, why? And so there was a dispute. The dispute was not to John the Baptist but was to his disciples. And what that did was it prompted a worry in their heart. They are looking down the river and they know that Jesus was there and they know what John said about him. Behold, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But they are looking at him as a threat because they are helping John the Baptist in God's service, in God's ministry. They're helping him, and they have a leader that they, that they love and that they listen to and that they know God is blessing, and the, he's being threatened. Jesus down here with his disciples are baptizing in the river, and they're like, you, they're cutting into your business. Like, the people that are coming to you are actually leaving you and going down the creek to Jesus. And I don't know, I don't think that they were being mean or bad at all. They, they, they understood what it was, but they wanted John to make some reaction. And John makes a reaction. And I love it, okay? So, this is verse 26. They came to John, this is his disciples, and said to him, Rabbi... Teacher, our teacher, he that was with thee beyond Jordan to whom thou bearest witness, remember, behold the Lamb of God, behold the same baptizes and all men come to him. What are you going to do about it? Like, is this not a threat? Um, you're going to see even the disciples, Jesus' disciples later will go through this. Um These people these people are prophesying. Do you want us to stop them? And Jesus said If you're not with me, if you're not against me, you're with me now in the same chapter He he says if you're not if you're not with me, you're against me It's one of those things that you have to take it's like the Proverbs where they'll take take two things completely opposite Sit them right beside each other and make you deal with it. God does that a lot but but he these people are are wanting to John to make a comment Okay, so then John preaches a very powerful sermon. So that's the introduction to John's sermon that he's going to preach to you, all right? Let's take it in small bites, though, rather than, than in a chunk. Let's do it in small bites. So starting in verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except that it be given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness of me that I said I am not the Christ that I am sent before him." Now, it's interesting. I think God made this dispute. God brought brought this discussion about the purifying with the Jews, that they would bring it to these people, that they would then bring it to John so that John then could, in very, very plain language, diminish. This is John's last sermon. This is the last. We're not going to see him again. We're going to see that the next time we see John, he's going to be beheaded in the prison because he spoke against the king and the king liked what he heard. He liked as long as you preach in generalities. Everything is generic. People love preaching. But as soon as you start saying you have offended God and what you're doing is wrong, when you start acting like Jesus and putting your finger on things that are against God's will, you will be despised just like Jesus was despised. And John the Baptist, uh, told the king, it's not life law for you to sleep with your brother's wife. Well, the king was the king. How dare you? It doesn't matter that you're the prophet. And so, it wasn't very long until the lady that he snarked uh, just had his head. And that's what we're going to see. The next time we see John the Baptist, he he will be a martyr. This is his last sermon. And so, for that reason, listen to him. This is the last prophet of Israel. This is the very last of the Old Testament prophets, and this is the last thing he says. You have to say, when when these disciples of his brought it to himself, what they were saying is, your personal honor is being lowered. By having Jesus right now next to you, and they're baptizing just like you're doing, and people are going over to them, and we're lowering, um, I'm worried about your honor. We, you, you should be honored, you're an honorable person. And what it did with John the Baptist is it forced John to enter into his own sermon. I think that is really, because it, the situation forced him to do it. He would never look to himself, he only looked to Christ, he was the forerunner of Christ, he heralded the king. But when the, when the disciples were talking about him personally, it forces him to exalt Christ by making himself lower. And this will happen to us. You, will ha- you can testify to the Lord Jesus and what he does in your life, but there will be times under certain circumstances that the only way that, that God will be made greater is that you take your place, that you lower your place. And we talked about it in Sunday school today that David said in his last words, God spoke through me, when I uttered my voice, God himself was speaking the words of God. The Bible was being written as I spoke. And I asked the question, was that arrogant? And the, con- the consensus was, no, it was not arrogant at all because it was true. God did speak through David. For that reason, when David said something so audacious that God was actually speaking through me, there wasn't, that wasn't arrogance. God was speaking through him. And there will be times that honor does come to someone who's honorable. But most of the time, you're going to be called on to, to deflect honor that comes to you. Now, if there is honor that comes to God as someone speaks to you, you said something that really touched me. You, uh, Thank you for how you acted to me during the time we needed you so badly. Thank you. And it is appropriate to deflect that honor to, to Jesus. It is. But in some ways, accepting honor can pay honor to God, and that is, I think, a discernment thing. We have to know when someone says something, you don't just squish it and say, no, no, because it's not no. It's the idea, glory to God, that he would allow that to happen. Glory to God that he would upset everything that would have happened and brought honor to himself and gave comfort to you at the same time. So, John the Baptist is in an unusual situation. He is forced to exalt Christ again by deposing himself, right? So, so he, it's, it's interesting. You've got this idea that he is the herald to the king. And if you could imagine the king parading through a, a, a slum, somewhere and with a parade, kind of an Eastern idea of a parade, and you bring in the herald and the herald is like make way for the king and you've got all these urchins in the street and the herald is all dressed in in pearls and in silks. How dazzling that that herald would look because it's someone from the king, that people would be attracted to him, but the herald is not for himself. The herald is to God. When you act like the Lord Jesus, you will stick out in this world. You will be despised and probably hated, even to death. But there is an attractiveness because who acts like God in this world? Who acts like God? And you, if you, if you, in any way, are serving people, you will have an attract. You, you can't tell me that there is not uh, people who their pastor is the dearest of people to them. They're, they're like they follow him. You've got churches that with thousands and thousands of people because. There is such a gifted person that is teaching them that they would follow him at all costs. Well, you have to be careful. We don't worship anybody but Jesus Christ. And so, so many times God will use a person, even effectively, even strongly. But that person cannot receive the people to themselves. The herald cannot have people come to flocking to the herald. The herald's job is to say, make way, the king is coming you ain't seen nothing yet. If you think that there's anything in me, you wait till you see the king. So it's this idea that he's always deflecting attention from the people to the king. And this is what John is doing. John was faithful in what he was doing. Remember, we just read uh, Moses was faithful in his house. But that house was not, the builder of the house has more honor than the house. Moses was just faithful in what he did, but, he was, but Jesus was greater than Moses, that's the point of that chapter in, in Hebrews. Moses was as good as, you, as people thought that it could be, except that Jesus surpasses Moses in every possible way because Moses was faithful only to what he was doing as a servant. But Jesus, as the ruler, as the builder of the house, had more glory. Do so you see? This whole sermon has to go around, I must decrease. If he is going to increase, I must decrease. And this is, this is the message for Christians. It is a message for Christians. How do I decrease at the same time of living my life? How do I decrease? How do I take up my cross and follow him? Because that is the mark of a Christian disciple. You, you want to follow the rejected Savior on the way to Calvary's Hill, then you take up your cross and you follow him to Calvary's Hill. That, that, see, that gets in people's real life okay you're telling me all right it's nice to be nice it's nice to be truthful and all of that and all of these virtues that's okay a lot of people like that but the idea of of following the despised savior to death that you will follow him into death are you willing to do that are you willing to squash yourself that god might truly be exalted Uh, who would be able to say yes that that takes god's spirit in the life of a believer To do that, to put to death that part that that wants to stay alive at all costs, right? So I just have to kind of emphasize based on what John or what David said today, he doesn't say that his calling was not from God. He knows that he was sent from God, but he is saying, God is sovereign, and for that reason, don't look at me. It's not about my honor, it's about Jesus's honor. So there's this two things happening at the same time. You deflect to God by stepping out of the light and putting Jesus into the light in other people's lives. This is Paul. Paul Paul did this as well. In fact, we even mentioned Paul in Sunday School today. I think that's interesting how God uh, echoes these strongly. It happens many, many times, many, many, many times. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 4. For for who makes thee differ from another? And what hast thou hast that thou did not receive? Now, if you did not, if you didst receive it, why do you glory as thou hast not received it? Now he's been, he's been very nice, but he's smacking, he's smacking the toddler's hand. He's saying, why are you acting cocky at all? All right let's say that you're that you are being used in someone else's life let's say that you are able to share the gospel effectively let's say that you have a generosity of spirit let's say that you that you care about others that you're sensitive to others did you not receive that is that something that that's yours that you then should should claim as something that look at me look at me Look at me how i give or look at me how i uh, treat people or look at me how i speak or look at me how brave i am do you see god gave you that if god gave you that why are you calling glory to yourself as though god didn't give it to you do you understand we were bought with a price and everything about us then goes to god's service he saved our souls now most people don't know what that means they don't value that at all That means nothing to most people, but to you, does that mean so much when you go, my soul is safe? Is that valuable to me? Is it worth my life? Unless a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it shall bear much fruit." This is a strong sermon. This is a strong sermon that John Baptist would say, it's not about me. This, back, back to what he said, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. If I can speak, God did that. If I have power with people, God did that. I don't act like it's mine. God gave me a task to prepare people for Jesus. And if all of my disciples go over and follow Jesus, it would bring me nothing but joy. In fact, he says that in a minute as he's talking about the wedding. That would bring the most joy to me as it, as it goes through. So I, I think ministers, ministers and other, I, I don't want to say celebrities, but there are Christian leaders that, that you kind of raise up. Charles Stanley died yesterday. Was it yesterday? I heard about it yesterday. Yeah, Charles Stanley died. I've preached several of his sermons. I'm kidding. I've never... Other people's sermons I have, but not him. But, but he was greatly used. Does that mean that you don't honor him? Of course it does. But, but this is what Paul said. This is in that same passage in chapter 4. This is verse 1 in First Corinthians. Let a man so account of us. He's talking about him. He's talking about the other apostles. He's talking about people who share the gospel with people. As the ministers of Christ, the stewards of the mysteries of God. Do you see? There's a certain amount of honor in that. There is honor. He said, do you, if, do you seek the office of a bishop? That there is great honor in that. But make sure, don't be many of you teachers, because it'll be what God will expect of you will be greater, greater, greater than other people. David, even in his speak to, speech today, said, said a man who is to lead the people must be a, a follower of God, must be. All right, so it's a, you're at high standard, but he said, he said as, one, as the ministers of Christ, meaning the servants of Jesus, that he's not ministering to Jesus, he's serving Jesus like a slave, a slave of Christ is an equal word to that, and a steward of the mysteries of God, that there's things about that God has allowed us to know that a person who's digging and digging and is trying to give to the people, that that's how you should view a minister not in any other way, that they are holding the, the, they are acting as stewards to the mysteries of God. So there is honor, but it's a deflected honor. As soon as that person's honored, there's no more honor. Only as Jesus is fully honored is that person truly honorable. And Paul later will say to those that worthy of honor, you give honor, you show honor. You show honor to your to your employer, you show honor to your parents, you show honor to your husband, you show honor to your wife. Those require you to honor in that way. So what he sees, he doesn't see himself as someone who's a superstar. He sees himself as the best man at a wedding. And and so when he's changing that, you realize we're already there. We've already in John, John has already given us these pictures We've already been at the wedding. We've already seen the best man who didn't know straight up. And we already saw that Jesus behind us, behind the, in the back of the wedding, was the true groom of that wedding. He was the one who was preparing his own wedding uh, during, during the chapter 2 when we, when we read it together. Now he's bringing it back. And so this thought that's already in your head, that's already fresh in your head, John is saying, I'm like the best man. The best man does not take the bride. The best man doesn't. In fact, the best man's whole purpose is to make that wedding so seamless that the groom doesn't have to worry because the groom is stressed out. So you make it to where, at the very end, you're, you're, you're married. Melissa said it's a successful, successful wedding if you're married at the end, OK? <laughs> That's, that, was her, that was her quote. I quoted her for that. This is, this is John. 329 he that hath the bride is the bridegroom okay so the i don't know if if his disciples were catching that 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 metaphor change he's saying all of these people that used to be here were what listening to me talk yelling at people i don't know if if uh, if i pulled you from Matthew and Luke where John the Baptist was basically like nah, nah, nah. he was like a mean dog people came to him and he was mean to them like all these people that want to listen to me, if they all go to Jesus, great. I'm fine with it. That's what, that's what God called me to do. I couldn't be happier. He said, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. So all these people are a bride that's going to Jesus. Well, that's how it's intended. Jesus is the bridegroom. God is the, is the king whose son is to be married. That's the picture of the entire Bible. Jesus is the son that's to be married, that has has a bride chosen for him, and the friend of the bridegroom, so he's referring now to himself, the friend of the bridegroom, which stands and hears him, basically waits on him, makes sure everything behind the scenes is done right, serves, 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 that nobody cares. Who cares who washes the dishes at the wedding? Do you see that? That's a gift of love. Nobody, the the bride and the ground. Melissa and I didn't even get our photograph made. We hired a professional photographer at our wedding. They gave us a book with 300 pictures in it, and there wasn't one single picture of just her and me. There wasn't one. Our wedding picture, all the people on the other side had to be cut out of our picture because nobody remembered because the bride and groom are too busy. The bridegroom's job, the best man's job, is to make everything work. That's the servant. That's what a minister means. A minister is a servant that's serving when nobody cares, when nobody nobody cares. Nobody cares what you do. Nobody cares. Nobody cares that you did it. Nobody cares that you got up early. Nobody cares that you stayed late. Nobody cares, but God cares. God sees it all, right? Are you serving so that people will look at you? Are you serving so that God will look at you? And are you serving so that God will look at you, or are you serving because God is worthy? There's a difference there. Do not not even work for what God will commend you one day. He will commend you one day. He will commend you, but you don't work for that. You work for the love of the bridegroom. And that's why the friends come. The friends come to honor the bridegroom. And as much as everybody looks at the bride, The groom is at the front. The bride is in the back, and everybody stands to honor the bride in order to honor the groom. You have to see that that's the way it's always been. You're honoring the groom by standing in the presence of his bride, because if it's exciting for him, it's exciting for his friends. That's the way it works. And that's the way all of eternity will work, because we will one day be his bride. And John said, oh, I'm just the best mate. That's all. And he says, the, the man, the friend of the bridegroom, which stands and hears him, rejoices greatly. I'm thrilled that these people are going over to Jesus. I'm thrilled as I can be because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. I couldn't be happier. This is the greatest day of my life. And for the, for the best man to then take the bride to himself that that's outrageous in anybody's thoughts. Nobody would think that that would be pro- proper. That you do not get your own following. You, you are faithful as you work in other people's lives for the love of God and for the love of that person, for the love of your family, for the love of your grandchildren, for the love of the people who have eternal souls. You work and you work and you work laboriously and knowing that your labor is not in vain that God is doing it and he will do it as you work, but he's the one that's working. So God makes the, the plants grow, but I promise you don't put the corn in the ground. You're not gonna get corn plants, even though God makes it grow. You didn't make it grow, but you have to be faithful. We are faithful in whatever little task he gives us. And one day he will look at us and say, well done. You've been faithful in that much. You're rulers of 12 cities now. I don't even know what that means. I mean, like, you were in charge of the the paper folding committee like that nobody cares about? Well done, well done. Good and faithful service. Would you not live your whole life for those words? Would your whole life not be worth it? Knowing what those words mean, more than I can handle. So he sees that he is the best man and that Jesus is the bridegroom. This is Paul again. This is in 2 Corinthians. Corinthians was a mess. The Corinth church was a mess. Paul had to kind of help them out. They were poor little honeys. They needed some help. This is his second letter. He said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. That's what we are. We are your servants for Jesus' sake. I will spend myself, I will pour myself out. You couldn't care less. You can step on my body as you leave the room. And I am for Jesus' sake showing you kindness because my love for him is so intense because he saved my soul. I don't preach myself. We don't preach ourselves. You know this is not about me. This is about us. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus, the Lord. Do you see how strong he's being? And we preach ourselves only as your servants for Jesus' sake. That is what a minister does. That's what John the Baptist was doing. He was telling his disciples, you're getting it all wrong. You're trying to be so nice. You're so nice. And thank you for thinking of me that way. But you're getting it wrong. The whole purpose is that Jesus Christ be elevated in this world and forever. The best man is to honor the groom. And then he pops it. This is verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. We've already seen must. We've seen must in chapter 3. Like Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It means. It all things, this has to happen. It's, it's totally necessary that Christ be lifted up, that all that he would draw men to himself. And it's totally necessary that Christ be lifted up. And it's, we, he lifts it up as we hoist him at our own lowering. That's what it costs. We, it costs us. It costs us. Are you willing to pay that price? Are you willing? You count the cost of discipleship. You now have faith, you now have life. Are you willing to give your life for him? Are you willing? That is the question that we ask ourselves. So all glory goes to Christ. But am I willing that that would be me making that happen? Because that is the task that we're, that we're called to. See, humility, humility is an interesting thing. Everyone likes to hear humility preached and everyone preaches humility, but no one is humble because it's totally against our human nature. The idea that we would be low is okay as long as it's virtue. If you think I'm virtuous because I'm low, really what I'm doing is working for your your approval. As you watch me be low, I'm actually high. But true humility is the idea, at all costs, God is glorified, no matter what it costs me. That's, that's true humility, and what will happen is in your heart day after day as God sanctifies you, you are truly more humble than you once were. It's not really about you very much. It's not really about you very much. I don't know. Can you look back over your life over five years or 10 years or 20 years or whatever number of years and say, I'm less, I'm less wanting to give my opinion? I, I, I can can do that. Like it's not so, people don't need to know what I think about it, though I used to be able to tell you all the time. Okay, I was the first to tell you what I thought. Now I'm like, it just doesn't matter. You don't need to know what I think. It's that idea that the humility is simply acting like God. Was there any more humble person than Jesus? Because humility is not a doormat. Humility is not, I have nothing. Humility is, I had all things that I gave up, for 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 because of love for God, Jesus had it all, and he gave it all away. That's truly humble. We follow in his steps, and we become like him in our character. And it's the Holy Spirit doing. We're not trying to be humble. Okay, God simply just changes us to where it's not all. It's not the Brian Show starring Brian. You know, you have your own show. I'm a guest. I'm a guest star in your show, but. You know, but God works in our hearts. That's just the way it works. See, Jesus is the, is the proper view of Jesus Christ creates humility. That's what John is saying. This is verse 31. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly. He that speaks of the earth and he that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard and testifies, no man receives his testimony. He hath received his testimony, hath set his seal that God is true. So if Jesus Christ is from from heaven and he speaks, that's to be listened to. I'm just from earth. Even though his disciples wanted to hear what he had to say, cared about what he had to say, I'm just from earth, John says. What does it really matter what I think? What really matters is what Jesus Christ would say. He's from, earth. He's from heaven. He's the one who made all things happen. He's the great witness of God. He's the revealer of God. He, remember, Jesus said that to Nicodemus. He said, if I tell you about earthly things and you can't handle it, how can, you, how can I tell you about heavenly things? Only Jesus could tell you about heavenly things. John the Baptist could only tell you about earthly things. Because, and so even as great as he was... And Jesus said there was no man greater than John Baptist. Of one born of women, he was the greatest. Even the greatest was only from the earth. Okay, so he's basically, again, he's deflecting. He's deflecting glory. Do you see that it takes the Holy Spirit to do that? It does take the Holy Spirit. The the testifier of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. So in whatever way that you deflect, deflect glory to Jesus, it's, G, it's God, the Holy Spirit doing that. In whatever way that you realize that Jesus is true and that all men are simply pointers or not to Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit that's doing it. So, the, so Jesus later calls him the comforter, the paraclete, the advocate, the one beside you that points continuously to him. Okay? So... Um, Basically, he's saying, let me give you, I've got a bunch of things. This is John 15, verse 26. But when the comforters come, this is Holy Spirit, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. So when John the Baptist says something about Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in your ear saying that's true. When anybody testifies about Jesus... And you, even if you're dead, even if you're dead as a rock and something true is said about Jesus, the Holy Spirit working in that person's life is like, true, true. That rings true. And I promise you that if you're a believer and someone says something off, you'll know it's off. Like, it's Holy Spirit that says, no, 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 that's out of tune. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Be careful. Red alert, red alert. Red alert. And I, I know that there's times that if I'm sleepy or I'm not paying attention, I can be snookered, okay? Or very sinful, very, if I'm decided that I'm going to be sinful, I can easily be snookered. But when the Holy Spirit, when there's a filling of the Holy Spirit simply by trusting Christ and being right with him and just trusting him, he will let you know when something is true about Jesus Christ or not. There's something in you that's God working in you. So John continues... For he whom God sent speaks the words of God. That's why he's more important. That's why people can go to him, and I'm delighted. For God gives not the spirit by measure unto him. Now, King James is a little weird there, because I could read that and not even know what it meant. It means that the spirit of God is not given to him in a cup. He doesn't get this much based upon his work. David had the Holy Spirit in his heart, but he didn't have the entire Holy Spirit. He simply had the Spirit's power to do what he needed to do. When Samson ripped the the door off of the gate of the city and carried it up the hill, the Holy Spirit was, was empowering him to do it. All of God was not in Samson. All of God was not in Samson. What Samson was needed, he was given. But this says he did not give the Spirit by measure. Jesus Christ had everything God had all the fullness of god dwelt in him bodily it says in colossians everything about god whatever god is whatever god is how big god is how complete god is how powerful god is every bit of that was in the lord jesus christ completely without measure so you're worried about him taking all of my people i'm not worried about that let them all go in fact i want them to go do you not realize his first disciples was andrew and john John writing this book was a disciple of John the Baptist. Every one of them went to Jesus. John the Baptist said, go follow him. He's the one to follow. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin. They went. Others stayed because they wanted to listen to John. And John's like, no, it's not me. It's about him. Okay? All things, all authority was given to Jesus. All authority. That's why Jesus can say, therefore, go and make disciples. Here's the last verse. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. We're even ready for that. Jesus said that to Nicodemus. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you do not have life. It's that idea that that it's the the Son that's the most important. And John the Baptist is speaking this. If I told you this was from John chapter three, you would think Jesus did because it's so powerful. If you have the son of God, you have life. If you don't have the son of God, you have not life. John did that. John, the spirit of God was on him and he said, look, that's who you follow if I have nobody to follow. And just within the shortest time he was in jail because according to the other gospels, as soon as he was in jail, the very next day, Jesus starts his public ministry. So this is the early ministry of Jesus before John, and John was a testifier. Go follow him. Amen. Amen. I I liked it. Let's pray. Great God, we want to bow in your presence and call you beautiful and call you majestic and give all glory to you, sir. We want to exalt you at our own cost. We know that uh, you've given us all things and that uh, you have provided us with, with the money to buy you a Christmas present with, like a, like a little child. That if you, if you take our praise off from our lips, you taught us how to speak. If we have hearts that loved you, you gave us the love. If, you, if we have any, any possessions to bestow upon you, you enriched us with those. That all things come from you, to you, and through you. And we want to exalt you among your people in this building that you would be magnified, high, and lifted up, even if it costs us our lives. And we want that to be truth, truth, truth in our hearts. Would you give us great grace as we we continue our praise to you in Jesus' name? Amen.